Hamilton comes out. Is he ahead of Max Verstappen? No, he is not. Max Verstappen pulls the undercut on Lewis Hamilton. Hello and welcome to the Undercut Podcast. Back again for another episode. This time we're reviewing the French Grand Prix. Not reviewing, sorry, previewing. I've got ahead of myself there slightly by a week. It's been a long day. It's but there we go. I'm joined as always by my excellent co-host Jesse Billington. How are you? Uh, this should give you a really good example. It's a hot day, so I'm having a cold beer. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm not doing too bad. How are you? I'm not too bad. Warm as well, but sadly do not have an alcoholic beverage in front of me. But we'll fix that later. Uh, we are not joined by Ellie May Taylor this week, as she couldn't be here. But we are joined by a very special guest, Vicky Piria. How are you? Hi. Hello, everyone. I'm glad you're enjoying your British summer weather. <laughs> this is all two days of it. That's it. It's, it's genuinely going to be raining on Wednesday. So that's I it. That's summer really over. It's just been so hot in Italy. It's unbelievable. Unbearable. So I do envy you. <laughs> We get two days of high 30s and then it goes back to just sort of being quite stereotypically British. So at least we get a respite from it. Yeah. We need it more than everyone else does, to be fair. We're not used to it for too long. I know. I, know. I remember every time I race in Silverstone, it's just a mess. It's always cold. There's always something wrong. It's going to be raining. And yeah, here we've got the opposite problem, unfortunately. Yeah. So we need to try and find that balance, which is something we're trying to do with the news this week, because we've been talking about Spa maybe not being on the calendar next year, which would be very sad. Um, but now the Belgian government, the Walloons, have stepped in to try and help protect it. So that's good news, I think. I do. I do think it's a very good news. Obviously, we can see Formula One going towards the direction of, you know, a lot of American races coming up and... You know, obviously, that's where the money is at the moment. The interest is um, also thanks to Netflix, probably. I heard that Netflix really helped boost a bit the, you know, American appreciation for Formula One. Uh, but I do think, okay, good racing, new racing, but you need to keep the tradition. And Spa is definitely the best tradition for any, any driver. So it would be really pretty if take it off we're very much of the mind here of places like spa monza silverstone they should just always be there it shouldn't really be up for debate it's just keep some of it at least absolutely it's all about balance so okay new races miami very cool loved it but then that's enough like we need we need still need spa and all of them yes the influx of american and middle eastern circuits seems to be dominating the calendar really pushing out or putting a lot of the other more traditional circuits to the peripheries but it's nice to see the belgian government also sort of stepping in and going no this is a good thing we enjoy having a belgian grand prix and we want it to stick around and it comes at a tricky time because south africa edges ever closer but i think it's falling into a different sector of the calendar i don't think they're we shouldn't have exclusive one for the other especially no. when you've got multiple americans or multiple middle eastern ones on the on the calendar potentially. and it's nice to see south africa and africa as a constant coming back to the calendar it truly sort of does give it that proper sort of global sort of grand prix presence it does make it a big world series but yeah i'm very much still in the mindset as much as i really want to see kyle army make a return still very much in the mindset that ah, if push comes to shove we'll just keep spa to be honest I was listening to another reform podcast earlier and one of the guys on there very amusingly said that without Spa, what else has Belgium got to offer us? We've got to keep Spa with <laughs> nothing else. Uh, chips, really good beer and chocolate. 
I knew yeah. you'd have something with that. <laughs> true, true. Away from that as well, slightly F1 related, but just because we don't quite know what they're up to. McLaren signed Alex Pelot for potentially IndyCar, but they keep giving drivers test drives in their F1 cars and that are IndyCar. So what do we think they're up to? Vicky, have you got any ideas? Well, uh, Danny Rick has not, uh, I think, hasn't been enjoying too much uh, his McLaren days. Uh, I don't know. I get the feeling that it's probably, I mean, as a driver, I understand there's a lot of money involved, but you, I, I guess you get to a stage where you just fit up of being number two and it's been kind of happening. So um, I wonder if he's on to something new. You know, you've got a new you think hybrid be the car. To IndyCar maybe, or? Uh, I mean, he loves America, doesn't he? And he <clears> loves <throat> he loves staying there and everything. And he could really be a number one there. Maybe he's. You just have to see how much he's willing to push through this moment. Uh, but it's, it's it's it can't be easy. It's very tough, and it's tough for Lando Norris. So it's even more tough for him. And. I do expect him to, I mean, if, to be honest, if I was him, I'd just leave just because probably he'd be even happier in other series. But then, you know, there's a lot of things involved and there are a lot of drivers, very good drivers that are thriving to get up. And, you know, maybe McLaren can find a cheaper driver that drives us just as fast, if not faster. So there is another Australian waiting to get into F1 that everyone keeps like wanting to. Put I know exactly. Like so, like, why would they want to keep him? So he's expensive. He's not bringing what he's supposed to. Um, I'm sorry. I feel sorry for him, but you know. Well, we all love him, but it's just we don't want to have this conversation. But we've also got to. But it is. It. it is a fact, <laughs> and for sure, he can just find a better dimension in in America. I mean, it looks like Grosjean is really enjoying IndyCar mm. and stuff. He's up and down, but you know, he's probably found a bit more his habitat and yeah. So maybe it's just a different type of, you know, racing that could help. Talking of leaving Jesse, Michael Massey's officially left when quite a quiet kind of exit as well, just kind of statements. I'm leaving. Bye. And yeah. that was it. Yeah. He was rather phased out of the sport. He was shuffled off to like a sort of backroom office job in the FIA for a while after the end of the 2021 season that so famously came to a head of simply him tossing a coin. Um, as far as we're aware, he might as well have done that for that sort of decision, but yeah, he's then was sort of shuffled off to the quiet back rooms of the FIA and now has, uh, as far as we're aware, left of his own accord. Although I wouldn't be surprised if potentially within the FIA there's been other factors that have led up to this uh, sort of departure from the corporation and the group. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to be a fly on the wall. Yeah, fly on the wall, autobiography, something along those lines would be quite good. I can see potentially Amazon Prime doing like a sort of rivaling sort of docuseries inside F1. As much as sort of Netflix is like, yeah, look at us, we're doing F1. And we're like, no, not quite. And Amazon just sort of goes, here's what really happened with Michael Massey. And you sort of go, take my money. You just have like blacked out people and you can't see who who's there in the background talking about it. Yeah, just sort of completely sort of anonymous interviews with someone who's clearly got a slight Australian accent and is like, we had a motor race, Toto. We went motor racing. It's sort of like, no, I know exactly who that is. I guess, well, I mean, he, they really like, 
I mean, of what happened, obviously it's probably, you know, it is his fault. That's why he probably stepped down. But I don't think all the blame is on Michael Mazzi. Obviously, he's not the only one in the room, right? And but I felt like, like everyone recognized and saw and was on exactly. the radio. It's very like, easy to have the scapegoat. Exactly. I felt like FIA was like, okay, it's him. He missed out. Fire him. And you know, he just tried to get rid of him. Well, probably the problem was bigger you know more people involved and he just you know he was a star of the show and he took he took the blame for it he was essentially mutinied by the fia and uh he lost out there yep. he's put into a small rowing boat with a musket with a single shot in it and a bottle of rum and uh <laughs> sent out to sea Someone's been watching Pirates of the Caribbean again recently genuinely i have actually finished <laughs> watching the fifth one this morning for no apparent reason <laughs> uh. Completely away from that, then, because we'll get down the rabbit hole if we're not careful. Alonso is not happy with the new regulations, apparently, and has called them a bit boring. Which, what do we make of that? Uh, but you're talking about the car regulations. Yes. I mean, it feels like something very Alonso to say, isn't it? <laughs> He's always complaining about something. He's great. I love him. But yeah, I mean, um, cars are not fun, more fun to drive compared to 10 years ago. And I'm not talking about Formula 1. I'm going to talk about Formula 3. If you drive a Formula 3 car of 2012 and a Formula 3 car of 2022, it's just horrible because the cars are heavier. Um, you know, you've got less downforce and everything. So, but it's tough. That's the way it is, you know. And uh, obviously... Probably he says it's boring, but maybe it just doesn't suit his driving style as much. Probably that's it. I wonder how much of it comes from frustration as well, because he's lost out on a massive chunk of points at various points this year, especially, say, like in Australia, where he could have got pole, and who knows what we could have got from him then. He might not have still won the race, but he could have finished higher than he obviously did. And Ocon is doing quite a good job as well in that in that car, so it's... It's not as bad as McLaren, for example, with a big disparity between Lando and Daniel, but it's maybe heading that direction if we don't have a reversal of fortune soon. Yeah. Maybe it's uh, I don't know if it's around that, but, you know, but it just cars change and they suit more or less your driving style. And when they don't suit your driving style, you really have to work hard and change those little things to make to make sure that you're driving the way you're supposed to drive that car, you know, you, you know, if you like light cars with a lot of downforce, you can't drive those cars the way you drive heavier cars with not much downforce. So probably he, he just says they're not fun to drive because he just does not enjoy it. And he has to really like work hard and focus to drive it the way it's supposed to drive and not drive it naturally. And I do understand that's frustrating, but, you know, it is the way it is, you know, like... Uh... I watch him turn around now and watch one win the Grand Prix this weekend out of nowhere and just suddenly decide that, oh, no, I love these cars, actually. Yeah, that, that could happen. That could happen, you know. Yeah, yeah, that definitely could happen. I mean, down a similar route. I mean, yeah, we've seen him really extract the most from that Alpine chassis, the A522, I think it is this year, isn't it? And it's proving to be a relatively capable car. It's taking the fight to McLaren. It's sort of putting itself yep. up there as the top of the midfield. But And I don't think it truly matches Alonso's driving style. But equally, I don't think it's 
it's just such a decent all-rounder that he's not feeling pushed by the car. He's not having to develop and learn a driving strategy to try and get the most from the car. He can sort of, eight-tenths of his ability, find the outer limits of that car. Whereas when you go back to something like the Ferrari F14T, horrendous car, absolute dog to drive, but he was getting points out of that pretty much every weekend. And he would have been, I think, because of his mindset of wanting a challenge and having to fight something to feel like he's won, that could be almost a regard as to why he finds the Alpine this year boring. If you put him in something like the Red Bull, which has slightly snappier tendencies, or the Mercedes, which doesn't quite have the right setup yet, he might find it fun, so to speak, because yeah. there's a challenge for him. But the Alpine is a great car. It's performing perfectly within its envelope and within sort of that field of the grid. But, but compared to his ability, it's not pushing him to the absolute maximum. And so that means when there's those occasions where the car is set up right and the conditions are favourable at, at the right circuit, we're seeing these fantastic quality laps like we saw Austria, Australia and then obviously again in Canada, we saw Alonso absolutely on it because everything was right for the car. So his 10 out of 10 performance made complete sense. But I think that's similar, but a slightly different approach to my mindset on this. I think it's a case of the car is great, but it could be better. And good, but as, not great, maybe. Yeah, good, but not great. And there's there's more scope to take Alonso to his upper limits as well. Then in the final bit of news that we've got, which is just a bit of F2 news, David Beckman was going to step in for JQs this weekend because with his busy schedule, JQs got COVID, unfortunately. It's happened again, so we're just going to have to roll with that. So Van Namersport's going to have another driver there, but... Beckman was in it, I think, in Silverstone, if I remember correctly. So uh, replacing Cordillo at that time because of his uh, race band was at the penalty points. So he's not doing too badly for an F3 driver. He had a lot more opportunities. So it'll be fun to see what he learned in Silverstone and how much further potentially he can get up the grid. Yeah, some good opportunities cropping up for David Beckman at the moment. And it's, again, nice to see him get a race seat. I, again, it's tri- tricky to say nice for him to get something while it's also at the sort of risk and downfall of Jake Hughes, who's had a fairly decent thing run of Russell things. Mercedes when Lewis got COVID. Yes. We want to see yeah. it, but not for this reason. Yeah, it's, uh, you don't want it to sound like you're wishing ill of the other driver. And he performed fairly well, given how little F2 time he's had when he was in Silverstone. So it'd be nice to have him a good chance to go. And again, France is a fairly safe circuit. He will have a proper chance to really push the car to its absolute limits without sort of too many repercussions. So it'll be a good opportunity for him to show what he can do in an F2 seat and uh, hopefully line himself up for something a little more competitive next year. We'll wait and see, but yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, his what he did in Silverstone was great. And Silverstone is Silverstone is one of the toughest races in the calendar, you know, uh, way more, you know, difficult in Austria, let's put it this way. Um, France is technical, but a little bit easier. So for sure he can do well, but it's not easy um, stepping into different cars, like just like that. So yeah, we'll see. So, like you say with Silverstone, if you make a mistake there, it's going to be more costly. Whereas France, you've kind of, you're not safe, but you can get away with it slightly more. It's not going to maybe impact you as much. Yeah. What I find difficult about Silverstone is about momentum. Like you feel like you're driving three different tracks in one because mm-hmm. you get in the first part where you really have to be very patient. And, you know, because these long, slow corners where you just have to pick up the throttle that right moment and bring in that right speed. So it's all about patience. Then obviously you go to from cops to Megat's Beckett's where you just have to send it. 
And then you go back to the last sector where you mustn't mess up, mess up what you did up to, to then. So it just, it's hard to feel, build a momentum. It's hard to set up a car. And so it's a tough track. It's a tough track. And for sure, uh, Port Ricard will be easier. But then one thing about going to easier tracks is that they're not just easy for you. They're easier for the others. So the grid will be yeah. pretty close. Catch 22. Yeah. Yes, time for some facts about the French Grand Prix. And when did we last go to the French Grand Prix, the Grand Prix in France, the Grand Prix at Circuit Paul Ricard? It was 2021 after a hiatus in 2020 for Miss Rona. And how did that last Grand Prix pan out? Well, it was fairly dull, actually, but it was an interesting strategy battle where Red Bull figured out the kind of chaos they could cause uh, with Sergio Perez if they supported him and gave him a fair chance to do things. Uh, Winds caused a few issues for drivers on track, and uh, the forecast this week hints at some mild gusts. But uh, we'll get to the weather properly in a second. The question is, who does the track favour historically? Based off of last year's running, it's not going to be a good weekend for the Scuderia. Mercedes powertrains ran well last time, so we'll see how that pans out, especially with the Ferrari power units going through, or rather enduring, an ongoing spate of reliability issues. More long term, there's only been three prior runnings of the French Grand Prix at Paul Ricard in this layout. Uh, it's two to one Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton over Max and Red Bull, but wind the clock backwards as there's been prior at Paul Ricard, just with different layouts. Prost has won four times at the track, so um, there's good favour for French drivers in that regard, especially when you add in Rennie Arnoux, who won for Renault in 1982. Uh, weather, what can we expect? 29 degrees Celsius and dry across the weekend. It's looking like very good weather indeed. However, the high temperatures could see tyre degradation come into play and give us another strategy battle. Those who have a chassis that is kind of their tyres or if they are rubberphilic drivers might have an edge. So which on-track battles should we be looking out for going into this weekend? Well, if Ferrari can keep their engines not on fire and uh, running for long enough, then they might be able to take the fight to Red Bull. Uh, most of the exits onto the long straights are gently tapering, so Red Bull will do better than in Austria because they seem to be struggling with the tight exits of the slow corners, so potentially France will offer them a slightly better running, although there is the tight exit of Turn 15 where Ferrari might just have the edge down the start-finish line. So that's certainly one to look out for. And as usual, still, there is the... Sort of chasing battle of Mercedes, McLaren and Alpine and now technically we could also include Haas into that group if they have a good weekend of reliability they might be able to get close to the points. Speaking of points and results we'll move on to our predictions. So Timo do you want to open up with your pole position prediction? I will. I'm gonna. I'm gonna stick with Charles Leclerc again. I think it's uh, a good race last time. Exactly what we need, and I think he's gonna carry that momentum forward he's going to get pole position so i'm, I'm gonna i'm just to do well he needs things a good solid few races before before the summer break and pole is the perfect way to start that one what about yourself I'm also going down the Charles Leclerc line. Um, it's not something I've mentioned in the history section, but I believe Monogasques have a good reputation for driving at Circuit Paul Ricard, if you, or at least French Grand Prix, if you dig historically. Um, so I reckon Charles will have a good go of it. And again, his qualifying pace has been pretty phenomenal. The Ferrari is quick. They'll probably turn the engine up to just below bursting point, hopefully. And uh, we'll see a competitive time from him. And uh Hopefully he'll be able to convert that into something special when it comes to the podium. I do agree with you guys. 
Yeah, I do agree with you guys. I think Charlotte Clerk will get it. Plus, um, there's, you know, Haas was, has been very fast the last race. And they've been, what they say is that they've been testing something for Ferrari. So, like, you try it. They should have probably tried it as well, because otherwise maybe it would have not exploded for Carlos Sainz. <laughs> but, yeah, so I do think uh, Charlotte Clerk has a good chance on Paul. Uh, it's going to be very close. I do think it's. So it does make you think if, if Ferrari giving Haas stuff to test out, then what the hell are Red Bull giving Alpha Tauri? Because Alpha Tauri not having a good time with whatever they're doing. No, been I don't think if they're going to give them actually anything, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> this is what they say. In that case, obviously, Ferrari is in a very good place. Um, but uh, yeah, so I do think Charles Leclerc will get the ball. I do. Who's on your podium for, for this Grand Prix, Jesse? Uh, my uh, podium for this Grand Prix is not going to be a Charles Leclerc Grand Slam. I don't think he's going to lead every lap of the race. He's going to have to fight it back through the final sort of third of the race. I reckon Ferrari strategy will do a bit dirty and he'll have to do a big push. But I can still see him winning the race. Second place will likely go to a Red Bull, but I can't see it being Verstappen. I can see his fortune changing. So I'm going to go second place. And then a nice little... Nice little uplift for science after last week or last race week. Uh, third place for him on the podium. Um, okay. I do think it's going to be tough on strategy just because it's going to be very hot. And so Deg will be for sure something important there. And it's, yeah, it's going to be very hot. So it's not going to be an easy strategy. And that's why I'm not going to go for Ferrari winning because he just messed them all up, unfortunately. So <laughs> I do see a Italian, she can say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, just, just like Red Bull just is way better on that. And I do think it will help them a lot in a tough race like France. Because So I do think they'll, they'll win with Verstappen. Uh, but I do expect a uh, 2-3 from Ferrari eventually. Which way around are you going to? I don't see Mercedes, Mercedes being there, nor Parrots. So, yeah. Which way around are you putting those Ferraris? <sighs> Depends how much they argue. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It really just, it depends. It all depends on which strategy they miss up most. Oh, so stereotypically, that's going to be Charles. So it's going to be Sainz second. Yeah, three, and obviously, I think Carlos Sainz is trying to prove a point here, so he's not going to like give position and all of that. So, which I see, it's pretty fair, uh, but so he's I mean, still in the championship fight. So until until that proves otherwise, for whatever reason, why not absolutely send it and just prove that you can do it. I mean, I think mathematically, everyone is far down as like, I know Lewis is still in the championship fight, technically. It's unlikely, but mathematically, he's still there. And I think he really thinks he can still do it. I mean, he's... How smug is he going to be if he does, though? Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, as a Ferrari fan, it will hurt me so much. Oh, it would. At the same time, it would be really nice to see like a huge redemption arc through the second half of the season for Hamilton to properly come back and just dominate. Don't like this, Jesse. Don't do it too much. Yeah, it'd be nice to see it happen, despite me being a deep down Charles Leclerc Ferrari fanboy. So, speaking of um, coming back with a vengeance and some speed, uh, you've gone, Timo. You've gone for Carlos Sainz fastest lap. 
I mean, I was going to do my podium first, but yeah. Oh, you haven't done your podium. Yes, your podium. I'm, I'm going so fast. I've, even, I've skipped your podium. Your podium, please. After last week's success, because Vicky, you might not know, but I tend to curse drivers on this podcast. I don't mean to, but whatever I say, it doesn't generally go well. Okay. And I'm trying to work this out as trying to find a strategy to make it work out a little bit here. So to help Ferrari last week, I said Max would win. He didn't, and it worked out well, because if I, I, I'm treating the logic as if Max wins, and I predict it, I get points on here, and if he doesn't, then it's good for the championship, because then Ferrari or someone else will. So I'm going to try this again, and say Verstappen gets the win, Hamilton in second, he's fueled by those three podiums he's got in a row now. I know I'm a bit crazy, Vicky, just let me, let me get it out of my system. And then Leclerc in third, so still get a solid haul of points. Yeah, we all kind of neglected him a bit, haven't we? Yeah. I didn't neglect him. Fourth fourth or fifth, he's still there, but just in the background. (laughs) Although you can't have that as a proper addiction, Jesse. I'm not having that. I do bad enough in this as it is. Fourth or Paris comes fourth or fifth. That's not that's not that's not wild enough for a wild prediction. Oh no, don't worry, it's not. I will say predictions-wise, while she isn't on the podcast, we will be including Ellie May's predictions as well because uh, she is currently leading the predictions point-scoring battle at the moment, so it would be unfair to cut her so ruthlessly. But uh, yeah, you'll find all of our predictions in a little graphic somewhere on our social media feeds later, which will include the fastest lap, which I've already teased for, Timo. You were going Carlos Sainz. I forgot to say, reiterating what Vicky said earlier, he's out to prove a point. He's going to be back with a vengeance a bit. And to do that, why not get an extra point for fastest lap while he's at it? It's not bad. I'm going to go quite left field with my fastest lap, though. So he's done weekends back to back with points. I reckon he's going to go the step further this weekend. It's Vic Schumacher, baby. He's going fastest lap. Because... I don't know, Haas are going to do something radical and trim a lot of downforce off and that's going to work for France. It might be a bit slidey through the corners, but sort of... I would love to see that. With both previous times he's come into the points, has either been on a circuit that's quite green from rain or in Austria, again, kind of a green circuit from a lot of rain earlier on in the weekend. So low lateral grip, I think, seems to be the success story for Mick Schumacher potentially a lack of downforce through the faster turns in sector three at France might be his route to success or at least fastest lap. So yeah, call it top 10 and fastest lap point for Mick Schumacher. That's and it might even rain, you know, it hasn't been raining for months. It will rain for Mick Schumacher. <laughs> uh-huh. the race. Uh, not if you've looked at the predictions for Paul Ricard. <laughs> I know I'm joking. Uh, fastest lap. Um, I'm just going to go with Leclerc because as he's probably going to have everything messed up for us, <laughs> at least he's going to get his silly fast. They'll, they'll give him soft tyres just when he doesn't need them so at least he'll get a point yeah, out Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to give him the fast lap. But I do, do, do think that Haas could even put put them both in points. Who knows? That'd be quite. I, I, I want to see them doing better. We, we kind of went down a bit slightly after the first couple of races, and I want to see them get back up again now. It'd be, yeah. it's, it's the underdog story we want to see happen, really, isn't it? Yeah, it'd be nice to see it happen. Mind you, speaking of underdog stories and slightly more crazy things, it's our wild predictions. Uh, these are things that generally would be a little bit out there, and 
it's weird still to think that we now classify Danny Ricardo finishing ahead of Lando Norris as a bit out there. But yeah, I wanted a... to tie it back to the, the news from earlier, and he, he needs a good weekend when we all love him, despite reality. Not being kind to him or us at the moment, it's a tricky time to be a Daniel Ricardo fan. So I'm just going to say he finishes ahead of Lando Norris, and I hope that's also in the points. But I'm also not brave enough to say that just yet. <laughs> it's it's been going. Sus- Suspiciously okay-ish for them, so I just want to... you just got to finish ahead of Lando. That's all I'm after here. I don't know. If we tail it back to my uh, sort of who the track favours historically, uh, Mercedes-powered teams usually do all right at Port Ricard. So. I mean, they did finish, I think, five and six last year if mm. I'm in, in the Grand Prix, if I remember correctly, because it was quite Mercedes-dominant tracks, I think. Lewis second, Valkyrie fourth or third, and then moved to McLaren, so... Uh, Valtteri was fourth. There was the McLarens in the points. Both Aston Martins were in the points as well. So at least in late, it's certainly been a Mercedes power track. Yeah. Uh, Vicky, yours. I'll say points and I'll blame Jesse if it goes wrong. Daniel Ricciardo finishes ahead of Lando Norris in the points. He doubles down on the spiciness. Vicky, have you got anything that could possibly go against that? Um. I'm going to go for sure Haas in points. Not with both, probably. I think that was a bit too optimistic. But Haas in points, though? No, I can take Haas in points. I can Not see both. it happening. I don't know if to put one for sure. <laughs> I don't know if both cars. There'll be a Haas driver in the points, yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for yeah. Sure. I mean, at the rate yes. it's going, Kevin... At the rate it's going, Kevin Magnussen seems to have a bad first luck or first lap luck, and there's a fairly tight yeah, bit of sector fast. one. So, yeah, he might be fast, but if he has bad luck going through sector one, bit of a collision, it'll be on Mick to get in the points, which we now know he can do. Uh, mind you, my fastest lap, um, not fastest lap, wild prediction, focus on the text. Um, Alpine top five. So I can see in the top five drivers classification, there being at least one Alpine driver. You're going for at least one. I was wondering when you say top five, that both of them are like four and five, or how 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 brave are you feeling? Not quite that brave to basically go Alo <laughs> Oco in the four and five positions, but I can see at least one of them being up there. And again, like I said, French circuit, French drivers tend to do well. We've got Esteban Ocon on really good form at the moment as well. Ocon's been performing Ocon quite nicely. You're going to put a name to it. <sighs> you always make me sort of specify things and it never pans out well but my predictions have been I always strong. lose points on this anyway I've got to try and at least do damage limitation if I can but the past few times where my predictions are on a good streak okay right yeah Ocon top 5 I'll change Alpine to Ocon top 5 <laughs> and watch me get no points this weekend yeah <laughs> well I think that's a crazy enough point to end it with for, for this episode and uh yeah we'll be back next week with our french grand prix review not because that's not this episode as, as we now know um and jesse where can people find you in the meantime in the meantime you can find me all across the internet i'm on instagram twitter as uh, at jesse on cars you can find possibly this youtube channel if you're not listening to this on youtube as also jesse on cars um, and if you like print media, I'm a big supporter of that and write for Classic Car Weekly. So you can go and actually buy a physical newspaper with my work in it. I'm trying to think what's going to be in this one. Um, news about 124 mile Mark 1 Ford Escort that's coming out on Wednesday. So uh, that'll be out on shelves if you 
can buy that. Um, Vicky, where can people find you in the meantime? Uh, in some racetrack, <laughs> hopefully <laughs> soon. And um, yeah, all around the web, just like Jesse and you. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, also YouTube. Actually, do YouTube. And yes, hopefully, YouTube I'll do something in British language soon. English language, not British language. Well, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, language has slightly scary. fewer consonants in it. That's the difference. You sort of yeah. drop, a few, drop a few consonants. It's <laughs> and British. Do, and change and change. Like, this is America and this is English, right? <laughs> so That's quite um, accurate. on for our impressions episode. Yeah, exactly. So it's pretty easy at Wikipedia. And, yeah, you can see me there. And Timo, where can the people find you if they want, if they even want to find more of you, which they should, to be fair? Oh, but well, you always want to find more of me, and I'm everywhere, so that's a good thing. So that's that's extra helpful. Yeah, I mean, I've got articles over on Is It Fast and Paddock Sorority, and then I've got my multiple interview series on the curbs, which there is an episode with Vicky on there from last year, so you can go back and listen to that. And yeah, Instagram, TikTok, surprisingly. And also over on the Nitro RX podcast, which I think at the moment we've got another episode of that coming out with a nice fun interview with another driver. So keep your eyes peeled for that one as well. I was going to say, your On the Curb series, your latest episode was with Nabila Tejpar, who we only had on the podcast not too long ago. Yeah. Yeah. So. And who is also the co-host for the Nitro RX podcast. It's a small world. So. It's a small world, or we just don't know a lot of people. Um, <laughs> We just keep recycling guests between all of our different things. Well, I'll, I'll be happy to come and be recycled and come back. So put it this way. <laughs> uh, that sounds fantastic. We should, of course, mention our co-host in Absienta, uh, Ellie May, who can be found on the Undercut Podcast's Instagram account with her takeaways from each race. We've sort of spread them out a bit at the moment because we've obviously had a bit of a gap between race weeks. So hopefully her Austria takeaways, her key takeaways should be out later this week she also runs the tiktok account where we sometimes have content going up um so you should probably go find us on tiktok too apart from that that is pretty much us done for this week like we said we'll be back for a french grand prix review next week so keep your eyes peeled for that and thanks for listening watching today and thanks again vicky for coming onto the show